welcome to Bootlegged, a continuing segment of the Cartoncast where we look at uh, animated movies. I'm Zane. And my name's Ben. And uh, today we are looking at the animated film Fievel Goes West. Yes, it is a sequel of Fievel Goes East, the first installment of the series. Where he meets up with Jackie Chan. <laughs> yup, they sing that awesome theme. No, it is, of course, a sequel to the original American Tale, directed by... It was Steven Spielberg, right? Steven uh, Spielberg produced it? it so it was made uh, in 91 by Amblimation Studios, which is the animation part of Spielberg's uh, Amblin Entertainment production company. That's the one with, like, the E.T. logo. Oh, okay. Uh, but that shut down in uh, 1997. Right. Before it did, it was, it also managed to put out the movies um, We Are Back, A Dinosaur Story, and Balto. Okay, yeah. And and where did this fit in on the on that timeline? Bible <laughs> Goes West and American Tale. I'm not certain if American Tale was also done by this studio, but um, Fievel was their first like big hit, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually their mascot for uh, this this segment. Oh, what do you um, know? And actually, Five Goes West is not just the sequel. It's actually the fourth movie in the American Tale series. No, 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 no. It's the second, isn't yeah, it? And the, then there were two other really bad ones. Well, the middle ones were uh, direct-to-video, but they happened in between. They're much less well-known. Um, because they're worse. <laughs> right. I've never even <laughs> heard of them. No, 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 no. One of them, one of them I'm pretty sure is after this one, because I think it dismisses Five Goes West as a dream that happened. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not certain. That might have been the Ooh, TV nice, series based on it. Nice retcon. Yes, it had not a too TV bad. series, uh, short-lived, a that ran on CBS in 92. Yeah, and this one, The American Tale, uh, director by John or uh, Don Bluth. Yeah, classic who, animator. Yeah, and he had a much... He had a he had a more somber tone to his movies apparently than this one had. Right. Other um, works that he did were uh, Land Before Time and The Secret of Nim. Yeah. So you know, death and <laughs> acceptance thereof, extinction, and... mental sure. disease. You mean in Secret of Nim? <laughs> yeah. Remember, they all got extinct. I, I do remember. Yeah, the, all the mice uh, went extinct. Luckily, missed a couple because <clears> here we have uh, Fievel goes west. Fievel's doing great. Hail yeah. and hearty as ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Spielberg would was not able to get Bluth for the sequel uh, to, to An American Tale, I guess because of creative differences. Right. And so he instead relied on Phil Nibelink, whom was a former Disney animator, um, to direct it in his stead, which is owes to the cheerier tone of this movie. Uh, it was also directed by Simon Wells, who went on to direct uh, The Prince of Egypt. And oh I, yeah, that's a good I, movie. And I found this out. He was the gra- done that. Simon Wells is the grandson of H.G. Wells. Oh well, okay. Now the uh, now the brief you know ten minute time travel segment of <laughs> uh, Five Goes West makes a lot more sense in context. Mm-hmm. So that's good to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, for those who don't know, Five uh, an American Tale, is you know the story of. A mouse from uh, a German, or, I mean, uh, a Russian Jewish mouse mm-hmm. from uh, from Moscow and his family all immigrating to America. That's right. It's immigrating to or emigrating from, right? Nope. Other way around. Are you sure? Oh, wait. Uh, I have no idea. No, you're not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, so the first movie really relied on the opportunism that was 
available in America. You know, the whole there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. Somewhere out which is there, something classic that, song from here. Yeah, and and immigrants from that time period heard the same thing. You know, their home countries were not great. And here we have the United States, a land of opportunity. And then they get there and realize <laughs> that, you know, they get the wind poked out of their sails, that that bubble's popped. Um, there is opportunity, but it is not for them necessarily. Right. And it's not as, not as... Not not as breezy as it as as, as it was uh, portrayed in lore, right? This movie kind of does it, it's the same does movie. the same thing again, <laughs> yeah. So after after chasing yeah, the American guns, dream though. all the way from from Russia to New York, the Mouskowitz family decides to chase it just, just chasing a little their bit American further, tales. Uh, and they end up in the Wild West. Yep, it's like got Which... a problem? Move west. Yeah, <laughs> that's the <laughs> Which solution is of something... the eighteen hundreds. Well, uh, immigrants. You know, European immigrants moving out to settle uh, the frontier was a thing of that time period. Absolutely. As was evidenced by the halfway through the Amer- an American tale, uh, the regular U.S. colonies were not all that kind to immigrants, mm-hmm. at least not initially. They had to kind of get in the get in the big pot, the American melting pot, before right. they could be accepted. So a lot of them did seek opportunity uh, westward. Although this time it's less out of, you know, a wide-eyed, wide-eyed sense of uh, opportunism, and it might have been more of desperation. <laughs> right, right. And and we'll get into that when we do the plot. Uh, for those of you that did not listen to our first bootlegged segment, uh, where we looked at Treasure Planet, um, we do this a little differently. So we're going to look at the different characters and then go sort of scene by scene in the plot and pick apart what we find important. Yeah, and I'm going to be doing it a little bit differently by drinking during it to simulate <laughs> the saloons that were so prominent in the frontier. And if it's anything like our first segment, we'll be making a lot of references to Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's the if it's anything like uh, any of our other episodes, we'll be making a lot of references to Buck Tud Russell. <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to appeal to all of you little little Egberts out there. So uh, before we get into characters, I have a fun fact about this movie. Oh, great. Um, so the original uh, American Tale movie uh, from mm. 86 was criticized by Art Spiegelman, who wrote the Mouse graphic novels. Really? Yeah, he, he said that Spielberg... Oh, was it because it wasn't art? <laughs> <laughs> no, he said that Spielberg was plagiarizing his depiction of Jews as mice. Um, huh. And he split Mouse into two separate novels just so that he could publish the first one before American Tale came out. Oh, that's awesome. Like, he just beat it by a couple months to avoid any sort of copyright issues. That's, uh, that's a very shrewd political move. Uh, I'm not certain that... Mm, I don't know. It seems rather coincidental that they would both depict him as mice, except... It does make sense given the whole, you know, vulnerable nature of an immigrant in a new land. They would, sure. of course, take on the role of prey. Yeah. Um, mice are sort of your stereotypical prey. Look at Tom Tom and Jerry. So, I don't know. It's not too much of a stretch to think they would both come up with that idea. Yeah, I, I don't think so either, but... Uh, I, I would need know. to research it to actually... Yeah, but if, if you want to avoid certain... a legal battle with uh, Steven Spielberg, you you know... And you, gotta, you do. You got to prepare for all all possibilities. All contingencies. Yes. <laughs> no mouse left behind. And um so let's leave no let's leave no mouse behind and start talking about the mice. Why don't we talk about Five a little bit? Because Zane, <laughs> we haven't <laughs> yet set up the western genre that we will be borrowing from and that this movie borrowed from. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> so 
a classic western um doesn't need to take place in the west necessarily westerns you know they they generally were around the mid to mid 2000 uh mid mid 20th century mm-hmm. uh which is where they were portrayed very romantically and then later in the 1900s later in the 20th century they got kind of a more negative result negative more viewpoint of uh frontiersmanship but they don't need to play, take place in the West. Here's a very typical Western plot. An Eastern lawman heads West. He matches wits and trades bullet with a gang of outlaws um, and is aided by a local lawman who is well-meaning but largely ineffective until a critical moment where he redeems himself by saving the hero's life. So <laughs> you can very clearly see that this is cleaving <laughs> very hard to a Western Yes. Uh, uh, the Western genre. So I think it's important to talk about the genre a little bit in its historical context and what are some common common themes that surround it. Zane, have you any experience with Westerns? Um, Not that many. And by not that many, I mean Back to the Future 3. <laughs> okay. Um, is my primary source. That and, um, you know, uh, a TV show like Firefly has a very dominant Western theme. Um. Mm-hmm. But but nothing nothing in the classics, nothing with like Clint Eastwood or John Wayne or any of those um, you know major dignitaries from the Western nation. Well, yeah, those are the more classical westerns. But like I just said, uh, it doesn't really need to be in the West to be a western. Uh, what are some that aren't? A lot of modern cop action films do it, like Die Hard, uh, Hot Fuzz. So it's got both of those, and even Fievel in this sort of has the same arc, even though he's not really a lawmaker. Because he does symbolize the closest thing the mice in America have to order. So, you know, right. it's close enough. And and that is a dominant feature of Westerns, is this lack of an established law. So, you mm-hmm. need to bring in an outsider to to bring that in where it was not before. Because if, if you didn't need an outsider, then it would have become a lawful society already. Well, it, it's actually, uh, I, I did a bit of research into <sighs> it, and the whole sheriff uh, ideal, the whole cowboy sheriff thing is uh, a derivative of the knight errant image from uh, Arthurian drama. Because hmm. um, in the Wild West, you don't have an established law force, so you have the romanticism of the individual, particularly in reference to a sense of honor and justice. The Part of the thing that they didn't really focus on early in the 1900s, nor did Fievel when he was moving out there, <laughs> is that there's also a brutality of the frontier. You know, you don't yeah. have any of those safeguards that you have in the East. So the conquest of the wilderness that is so iconic to American lore is also prevalent. But just the brutality of the nature out there is also is also represented. Yeah, there's a there's a might makes right sort of mentality. And so our outsider comes in and uses might to stop that mentality in, a, in an ironic yep. sort of way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know whom you were referring to, though, but it seemed right to agree. So <laughs> when we get to it, I'm sure you can comment on it a little bit more. All right. All right. Well, uh, do you want to go ahead and talk about the characters, and then we will get into the plot? We'll just give a brief overview of a few of the characters and how they relate to the themes of this story. Sure. So uh, Fievel Mouskowitz, who was the protagonist from uh, An American Tale, is mm-hmm. back uh, he, he's played by Philip... With a vengeance. <laughs> Just like a good cop. Five strikes back. Um, <laughs> he's played by Philip Glasser, who was eight years old in the first movie. Uh, he's 13 in this one. Uh, and, I think I think he was somewhat of a 
child star. He didn't seem to have much after this. No, I wouldn't imagine. But, uh, but you know, he's got that high voice. Mm-hmm. He's still an adventure-seeking representation for immigrants coming to America. Mm-hmm. Um, this time it's expanded to represent the frontiersmanship of early Western colonists. You know, just yeah. as idealistic as ever, represents the more romantic ideals of the uh, Western, how the Western looks from the mid-1900s perspective. Right, and he he's anxious to go out to the West. He's looking for any sort of excuse, which, you know, convenient how these things always seem to work out that way. Um, he's the only one who's looking for an excuse. Everybody else is kind of berating their excuse. <laughs> so why do we have <laughs> yeah. to move out to the middle of nowhere? Oh, that's right, because we got kicked out of our hometown by jackass cats. <laughs> I just love how Fievel is, like, not that afraid of cats. Like, in the abstract, you know, he'll act tough. Under pressure, he'll cow a bit, but, like... Yeah, in that first scene, a... I was actually very surprised when he started getting getting scared by that one cat once he actually got called out on his bullshit. He's a brave Sort of a foreshadowing. Toaster. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing Brave Little Toaster. It's too kitty. Um, it's too scary. It's a bit of foreshadowing to, you know, poking the ho- poking holes in his sails as far as talk mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, understanding the West goes. Um, but speaking of cats and romanticism of uh, of <laughs> Western expansion thereof, we've got right. Tiger. <laughs> yes, good old uh, friend from the first one, and he he kind of plays a tonal counterpoint here um, <laughs> in, to final to the movie. Um, oh, especially, yes. especially in the first one, which was a bit darker. This one is more lighthearted, but everyone has like, everyone's buying into the central struggle, except Tiger's just kind of off on his own, enjoying himself. He's on, and he's, just he's really, along for the ride. He's really cartoony. Yeah, he is. Which we will talk about it when we get to him. But uh, he is played by Dom DeLuise. Right. <laughs> and has a wonderful voice. Yeah. Yeah, he does a bunch of cameos in Mel Brooks movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got kind of a um I got kind of a curly vibe from him, like a Three Stooges kind of thing. Yeah, I got kind of a uh, Lenny "Don't Touch the Rabbit" sort of thing from him. He's <laughs> just the voice. Yeah, he he uh, is also fueled by romanticism a little bit more literally than Fiebel, but uh, right. <laughs> but uh, his transformation late in the movie is actually totally relevant to um to Western themes because he's sort of controlling his impulses in a attempt to conquer his wild nature which his wild nature is cowardice he kind of has to conquer that and be a dog you know be a top dog so there, there there's something there but it doesn't really kick in until later it's a fun training montage mm-hmm. counter counter to him we also have uh cat our wall <laughs> our our main villain <laughs> yep um, great great name voice acted by john cleese whom john, is yeah yeah Man. Best known for his work in Monty Python and Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. Did you yep. notice that his Wikipedia page has an entire section labeled Admiration for Lemurs? Yep, I sure did. <laughs> he just, like, really likes them. That's incredible. Uh, and in this movie, he has an entire section for admiration for his own character. Yeah, Which is oh, a, yeah. a fun little part. He's, he's um, this egotistical like making these incredibly complex plans and i feel like he surrounds himself with idiots just so that he can look down on them yeah he's he's incredibly affable to my eyes like he's fun to listen to and i kind of like when he like i like when he talks he's very sophisticated (laughs) for a cat whom in these movies are very portrayed as being just 
total instinct, total predator. They're kind of like in Hamtaro, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where they're just totally ruled by their their impulses and have no cognitive processes going on. So he's sort of a halfway point between the barbaric nature of the frontier, but then half the time he's also trying to browbeat the frontier nature inside of him, sort of like Tiger gets at the end. Right. I get you know, the sense he's trying that he... to do away with his you know, more impulsive nature. Yeah, he he kind of resents being uh, a cat. There's a couple of he kind of curses it. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes where, um, you know, some rich human lady like pets him and is like, "Ooh, Mister, what was it, Mister Puss or Pussy Poo or something?" Yeah, one time she just keeps screaming "pussy" over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he just really hates that. Yeah, he he's a more considered approach to colonization and settling. He's not reaching for the big haul. He's using smaller plans sort of he, he would be sort of an opportunist during like the gold rush era where a bunch of people were going out and trying to make their fortune and he was sort of capitalizing on their desperation and idealism right he was he was so, setting up the saloon to take advantage of that yeah so historically speaking he's a very good villain yeah oh absolutely he fits right in yeah i like him a lot very i, fun I to really watch. like this villain i think it works better than warranty rat and i like that he has um you know, he has a bit a of monocle? depth. <laughs> Absolutely. I like how he has a little bit of depth. Like, um, <laughs> he sees the mice as, like, prey and also kind of like slave labor. But he has, yes. like, a high respect for Tanya, who can, like, sing. He's like, don't, oh, we'll, we'll get to it, man. Don't Let's not blow that load earlier. <laughs> well, or anything. Yeah, Tanya is uh, Fievel's sister, who, who got mm. a little bit of a, an artistic improvement since the first movie. Yeah, she got an upgrade. Someone invested um, a lot of points, a lot of skill points in her this time. It's good to see. Um, she's played <laughs> by Kathy Cavadini, who played Blossom in the Powerpuff Girls. Yes, although and... I didn't really recognize the voice from that. No, um, but she Blossom was always kind of like, eh. yeah. But uh, but she has a very uh, very lovely voice. She she does a lot of singing, and um, it's sort I don't know of all I... she has. <laughs> it's it is sort of all she has. Um, there's not a ton of character to her, other than like, oh, I want to be a star. But you know, adorable. Yeah, good enough. Um, there's a, a bit of a link to the historical context of the Wild West and its expansion thereof, because a lot of times when you had these Dust Bowl towns starting up, um, you would get saloons, because the people whom were settling wanted saloons, mm-hmm. and you'd have a huge amount of prostitution going on in the <laughs> Wild West. And there is a really weird scene that sort of ties in with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, get there. Yeah, we'll get there. That's my favorite part of the movie because it's so weird. <laughs> it makes me feel so gross. But we should talk about the final character. Well, I, I have two more characters written. Oh, do the one that's not awesome. Who, Miss Kitty? Yeah, go ahead. Miss Kitty. Uh, so Miss Kitty is Tiger's love interest. Um, who? Yep. Yeah, she... She wants to get away from the big city. Why are all these people trying to get away from the big city? I don't know. That's just such a weird thing. Like, There's a really weird scene at the beginning where Kitty leaves that's just like, it's like out of, it's like a film noir thing. It's not yeah. a Western thing. It's really strange. It's like it's it's the, I don't know what's going on there. She actually straight up of, says a line from Casablanca. Yeah, they, they break, they break the tone and the genre a little bit in order to set up the plot more efficiently Mm. um i don't Mm -hmm. think it works great i like i like her i just don't understand 
like usually if like somebody's trying to be a star and make it big and and enjoy life like they go from the country to the city and i know that wasn't necessarily the case back then but it's still strange credibility that all these people wanted to go out there she's just in the wrong genre yeah she doesn't belong here you can kind of see her saying stuff like i'm ready for my close-up mr demille but that doesn't really fit in a western uh yeah (laughs) um but but she was uh amy irving who is spielberg's (laughs) ex-wife yep which I like. You work for me now, honey. <laughs> it's got to be really uh, fun for one of them and like really irritating for the other one, right? I yeah, just don't know I which don't know one. Who. Yeah. It's fine. End product's good. I like the character. She just kind of doesn't fit with the genre. I, I mean, in in these cowboy ones, in these cowboy, in these westerns, you generally do have a uh, uh, you know a southern belle sort of uh, damsel in distress, which she does comprise that role at the end. So it's fine. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, our final character. Wiley Burp. <laughs> the amazing Jimmy Stewart in his very last role. In his final film role. <laughs> Which is amazing. And, and it gets even more amazing when we talk more about the character, but let's just keep it very general for now. Yeah. This, he, is, uh... he plays the part of Wiley Burp, a dried up old sheriff, which in this... Mausian setting is you know cast by the role of a dog and i think he's meant to represent the failure of some of those who pioneered the west mm-hmm. he's got sort of a disheartened demeanor and kind of evokes that disillusionment he's a failed icon you know fievel looks up to him before he meets him but once he sees him in the flesh he like doesn't even recognize him yeah, much like the Wild West for all the settlers, or not all the settlers, but a lot of settlers would go out there, you know, kind of bright-eyed and be like, I'm chasing this ideal, and then they get to that ideal, and it's not what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I also thought that it was, a, he, he and the, like, the things that he says, especially toward the end, represent, like, the end of Jimmy Stewart's career, like... No, 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 we gotta wait for that one. All right, I'm but... sorry, man, that <laughs> one's gonna be so good. All right, <laughs> We won't forget. It's too cool to forget because he's got that awesome monologue leading up to it. Um, which, which here's the thing: it's a don't, little out don't of you place, worry about it. which is why I think it it has more to do with like a personal thing for Jimmy Stewart than anything else. But we'll get there. Yeah, All if right. you don't mind, I think that'll just be better to to embark upon. And you know, when we did Treasure Planet, it was sort of a you know just set up these characters, and then when they get to the their actual arcs, that's when we explore them. I think that's a better dynamic. All right, uh, let's get into the plot. Mm-hmm. So, Fievel is an average mouse, and no one understands. <laughs> yes, especially uh, not his parents. The Mousekowitz family. Specifically, specifically when he goes into his Western fantasies immediately out of nowhere. And then the hero Wily Burp squinted across the dusty street. Hopelessly surrounded by the cactus cat gang, he stood his ground, refusing to back down. Get out while you still can. If you're biting the dust, I'm going down with you. Right, so, like, we start in a dream of, of Bible being in the Wild, wild West. In, uh, in, but... in, classic, in classic bootlegged uh, 
in classic <laughs> bootleg, uh, you know, trend. We start with a with with a fiction that is not actually the movie, and then it leads into the movie tangentially. So right, right. on course, right on course for baking yeah. this cake. Um, <laughs> Next up, I like Toy to Story imagine 3. that the bootlegs are like a little bit higher tier egg product. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna call them cakes from now on. Hope that's cool. So, um, Fievel's fantasy is is interrupted by his mother calling for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, which which you know shows us that this is a fantasy. It's an instant comparison to the kind of squalor that they live in. In the uh, in in the opening scene, don't they play the American Tale score? But it's mm-hmm. like a Wild West theme American Tale when he's like doing the shootout as Billy the Kid or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's in that scene. If it's not in that scene, it's in the very next one. But it is so cool to hear that, you know? You get that American Tales theme. Everybody knows it, the whole pop on his violin thing. And then it just gets into this Western, which is so cool. And it sets up the faster-paced, more action orientation of the movie. Uh, I don't know. It sounds great. (laughs) It gives you an instant tonal shift if you're already familiar with um, with the original movie. Yeah, I was ready to hear about Borscht. And babushkas, <laughs> and it's just like, no, crawdads and, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> something else, and cow pies. Crawdads yeah. and cow pies was, I think, yeah. the subtitle for this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Mouskowitzes are not doing great, financially speaking. No, uh, no one seems to be doing great. Fievel's kind of in his own world, but, um, mm. you know, Tanya is is singing, uh, yep. She's got she's got her own fantasy of being a singer, and it's also immediately burst by people like yelling at her and throwing tomatoes. Yeah, They're, it's which burst they, like, like the tomatoes that they throw. Yes, <laughs> which like they which the mother like scrapes off the wall, and scrapes off the wall <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> like why can't they throw anything good? Well, yeah. <laughs> come on, Tanya. It, it very it very literally parallels the plight of immigrant families who moved to America and found that it was not you know, the land of hope and dreams that they thought it was. You know, they're kind of mm-hmm. being forced into these tiny uh, secluded communities where they kind of have to depend on their own kind, and the pickings are very slim. Right, and and his his father laments that fact that, you know, despite making it to America, they haven't made it in America. Mm-hmm. I also appreciated the nice nod to the whole, you know, move, movie's over, everything's fine. You know, they had that romantic <laughs> kiss on the plane, and now they're going to be happily married ever after, even though he's a serial cheater, and she has been embezzling for years. You know, like, they, they don't they don't adhere to the whole, you know, uh, closure that you got from the end of American Tale. Like, you thought things were going to be fine, and they're immediately not fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is so good. I'm so like glad I didn't day. actually... I didn't actually watch American Tale before this because I didn't have time, but I like the idea of just shotgunning the two and just being <laughs> on that extreme emotional high from the first one right into the big emotional <laughs> low of the second one. That's great. But, you know, it's not that emotional low. The family still cares for each other, and they very do clearly say, you know, we still have each other. It's not the worst. We can survive. Yeah. At least, uh, you know, until <laughs> uh, there is Cat a chase scene. Yep, cat attack. Right. I mean, there's a there's a short, you know, film noir scene where Kitty leaves, and uh, Tiger is monologuing about that dame that walked out of his office, and then immediately a chase scene where Fievel's family gets tossed into the sewer. Yeah, this uh, before that, this little um, 
interjection scene with Tiger happens throughout the first half Get ready of the movie for him. where where <laughs> there's you know there's a sequential plot-based scene with Fievel where the tone is low etc and then just a random short <laughs> clip of Tiger like getting hurt let's cut away to the subplot <laughs> yeah, the quirky subplot um, I'm amazed that they go so long without them like intersecting in a meaningful way <laughs> I mean he was kind of a fan favorite from the first one wasn't he it'd be yeah, hard not to so. with the voice actor the way it was um and it, it does come back up um, they do mm-hmm. they do eventually meet, but you are correct. It is very much just a tangential thread of a plot. It does kind of state, though, now that you mention it, we might as well talk about Tiger's subplots beforehand. He, the fact that he gets his own like storyline that's unrelated to the mice sort of shows you that Fievel's a less important character in this movie. Well, he's a lot smaller. <laughs> is he? You know, like, Fievel does as much as he can, but... You know. Oh, you mean smaller than of... Tiger? Yeah. I thought you meant smaller than he was in the first movie. <laughs> like, what happened? Did uh, did Reducto get to him? He got a little too big for his britches. His britches uh, got a little too big for him. Yeah. <laughs> his hat anyway. got a little too too weird for him. He's got that. Yeah, he's actually know, wearing a cowboy immigrant hat. Immigrant blue. This. He's got that immigrant blue hat, and then he just turns it inside out, and it's a it's cowboy reversible. hat. Yeah, which, man, why is that not a piece of merch? Reversible cowboy to immigrant hat? <laughs> you know, from the yeah. one movie where that's applicable? Yeah, like, I mean, you, if you want to be dressed for literally two occasions... <laughs> that have hat, nothing in common. That, that, that has perfect for you. Well, yeah, that's why you need a different hat. Like, if you're going to be, like, a pirate, you can sort of fudge it with the, with the, with the cowboy hat, but you're not about to just put a cowboy hat on and be an immigrant <laughs> you you could also probably do that with like a sombrero and one of those german like spiked helmets oh yeah because the, um, the spike would go inside when, when the, the sombrero is up top what are those called bismarck i have no idea am i making things yeah, up we'll now? call them bismarcks <laughs> bismarck bismarcks sure bismarckier um, um yeah but like i was saying like in what i was actually saying and not what you took guys <laughs> um Fievel is a less important character in this than he was in American Tale. He was kind of just, all the plot was around him all the time. When Tiger right. was around, he was around Fievel. And this kind of shows you, we're going to veer a little bit away from Fievel. He's not as central a character. Right. He's, okay he's more, I, I in this like movie, he's more of the cheerleader than the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Especially because Jimmy Stewart's in this movie. What are you going to do <laughs> when Jimmy Stewart's in town? Automatic quarterback Like, literally, Jimmy once Jimmy Stewart pops in, Fievel goes and sits down on a barrel and just watches. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, thanks, kid. You got us to the yeah. good part of the plot. You you, 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 fetched, you fetched out Jimmy Stewart. Now now it's his show. Um, um, anyway. But in the beginning, when, uh, when Catterwall sicks all his cats on the mice in the city, um, Fievel mm-hmm. does try to be a hero. Like, he jumps out of their hole in the wall to try and fight a cat. Which yeah. goes about as well as you'd expect. Yes. <laughs> you know, you do really see his American sense of adventure and opportunity in his character. Like, yeah. both when he's Nothing trying to fight the wrong. cat. Uh, yeah, idealism. Like, I'm I'm mortal. I was the star of a movie. My name's in the title. Like, uh, I'll be fine. <laughs> but, again, that's the, that's the delusion that immigrants were suffering under when they thought they were going to America, and then when people were settling the Wild West. So, it's very right. appropriate that he is 
like trying to take on problems that are too big for him and just immediately getting shit on. It's pretty I weird. like that. That is that is a uniquely not uniquely, but that's a that's a big part of the American like it, it's an intru- it's introducing adversity icon that he is going to have to overcome by the end of the movie. Right, but it's it's an important part of the American icon that, you know, oh, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be the hero, and, like, nothing will dissuade him from this. Like, he, yeah. he, he he's the kind of guy who's like, oh, man, I'm a pretty good singer, I could go on American Idol. <laughs> His sister is exactly like that. Yeah, 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 pretty much. <laughs> um, I don't really love Fievel, but he's a necessary character, so, you know. Okay. And uh, but his family escapes into the sewer, mm-hmm. and he's really into it. Everybody else is scared for their <laughs> lives, but he's just like mm, another adventure. My name's in the title. This is gonna be great, <laughs> you know. <laughs> sort of a Bob and George thing. Like I'm a title character. I can't die. Yeah. Deep cut. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so how do but... you feel about animatronic Western sewer rat? <laughs> you mean the <laughs> you mean Yosemite the Sam if he was a rat? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, the mice the mice fleeing to the sewer was actually Catterwall's plan in the first place because he's using this mouse puppet to address them, telling them like, "I got a free trip out west where cats and mice get along." Y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all. <laughs> yeah, this is really great. I'm a big fan of this dumb Chuck E. Cheese puppet. Like, yeah, I don't know. And, and this is this I, I, is your like introduction it. to Catterwall. It's... And he's so affable a villain, like, yeah. and the, you know, the ty- dichotomy between those two halves of how you treat uh, Westerns, like, the West, it's, you know, this predatory, barbaric nature, and there's also this, uh, this, this side of it which is trying to plan for their nature, for the nature of the West, and it's just both represented here, you know, he's, he's enacting his plan, but he's also, you know, kind of getting caught up in his own hubris, so... I just love this character. Well, he's not yet caught up in his hubris. You know, he's kind of like a robber baron. He, you know, he he sees these huddled masses of poor immigrants, and and he thinks they're stupid. But at this point, they're exactly as he, as stupid as he thinks. Yeah, like this is going great. Yeah, well, they're not so much stupid because in the first one, you could argue. Well, actually, in the first one, they were kind of being chased out of Russia by you know cats. They were pretty desperate mm. in that situation. They didn't really have a choice. Here they are now in a sewer. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's only so many places you can go. Yeah. Um, y'all. <laughs> y'all. That puppet. Y'all. Yeah. They, like, I like the degree to which it's barely trying to be Western. <laughs> and then, like, he starts. He's totally into his own hubris at this point. It's not his downfall, but he's just. He starts talking about you know, the head of the cat's caterwaul and talks himself up and just gets distracted by how sexy he is and, <laughs> like, stops making the pump the, the puppet function for a while. So everybody's just watching yeah. him basically talk himself up and emotionless puppet. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, they, 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 do, they do jump on the train, and there's a, right. there's a and, moment and where we're reminded... We're reminded that Fievel and Tiger are friends, in case anyone forgot. Yep. And we have this really weird offshoot scene where Tiger is just getting beat up by some dogs for a while. So <laughs> I want to talk about this just a, for a second because yeah. you know me. I generally like my I generally like my cartoons serious as all get out. 
I generally <laughs> like them as serious as voting. And um, if they are not, you will go out of your way to make them. Make them serious. Yeah, I'm I'm helping you. I'm just helping you out, Spielberg. <laughs> just take my help. I'm willing. I'm freely giving it. But that being said, you know how I wanted to treat the scenes, the cutaway scenes to Tiger. He's generally just getting beat up, and it doesn't reflect it on the themes at all. And it seems just to be an added piece of fluff for, like, the first it, minute. And then it, it just sticks out its jaw, and he gets hassled by even more dogs. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> it just doubles down. Like, it, yeah. It sticks no, its foot in. It's like, will the, will the audience like this random cartoony business in the middle of their drama? Yes. Probably not. <laughs> Full force. <laughs> But yeah. like, <laughs> like we had a problem when they did this in Sheep in the Big City, and I don't know why it's okay here. <laughs> they're stating the joke, and then they're just stating it again immediately. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. It, they do it very well. Like he is like getting beat up, but it's through a number of different ways. Yeah, they um, keep it punchy. Like in Harvey yeah. Birdman style, they're keeping the jokes distinct, at least, or at least. They're not all just a bunch of... A, it's not just like every time we we check away from Fievel, he's getting chased by a pack of dogs. Right. It, it moves quickly. It. You you get a you get a like a three or four minute scene with Fievel, and then you get, you know, half minute to 30 one minute seconds. scene with Tiger. Tiger getting his tail bitten. Um, and and he, he does get on the train that Fievel's on, but immediately falls off into the river. <laughs> yes. You know, his... Uh, I think it's just the voice actor and the self-aware nature of the character that sells it. That really makes it for a, refresh, a refreshing breather. Like, yeah, we you have those serious and dramatic tones while following the Mouskowitzes, and this is for children. They probably don't care too much for it. Right. And it helps that Tiger is constantly making jokes directly to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, this is one of the things that reminded me of, like, um, the Three Stooges. <laughs> He's just like, oh, I have all the luck. he's a real sad sack of a character he's a real dr zoidberg i agree i like that he's directly making jokes to the audience like he'll be out in the desert and he'll be like oh i'm in a i'm in a thousand yard sandbox who are you talking to man (laughs) oh it's the audience of course makes sense but he he eventually gets to where files going through a series of random coincidences yep really really nice you know great expectations thing here which I don't have to read it, so it's okay. So uh, a point I wanted to make from earlier, and it comes up here because they get on the train and they have a song, which yes. is basically, there are no cats in America. Oops, I mean the West. Right? <laughs> yes. It is like, it's a not jauntier the same version. It's it's clearly a distinct song, but it's essentially the same concept. And I think they really tried to ride hard on the formula that made an American tale such a hit. Full of 
No garbage channel landlords following up the air. No crooks or politicians to slip our cowards bare. We'll ride the roaring rivers, turn wilderness to towns. Our dreams will take us up and up and never let us down. No And the music is composed by James Horner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the song was fine, but it's not as good as the No Cats in America thing. No, the No Cats I don't in think. America is a, is a classic. I really like it. This is not one of the better songs in the in this movie, I think. Um, I, I do like the map of the U.S. where all the state names also include their cheeses. <laughs> I didn't notice that. You, That's really yeah, sweet. Yeah, like, instead of... Instead of Missouri, it says Missouri Blue and, like, Kansas Cracker Barrel. That's incredible. Why didn't I notice uh, that? And then there's, like, California, but there's, like, a little spot for Monterey. It says Monterey Jack. Like, (laughs) I like the idea that the mice see the states, see locations by their cheese content, you know? (laughs) They have, like, a Geiger counter for cheese. Um, Yeah, the song, I think, suffers a bit. The lyrics are a little too fast and disjointed to follow. Yeah, again, um, keeping with the with the faster paced story, but uh, yeah. the scene that it goes into is really creepy. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, really creepy in atmosphere. Fivel scampers around the train until he finds the uh, the puppet that Catterwall used to trick the mice. At this point, and, because uh, it's no longer this affable y'all puppet, I found incredibly creepy to look at. <laughs> Yeah, just this. This like, is a creepy corpse, puppet. As most puppets are. I'm certain I've had nightmares about this combination of gramophone music and the spider chasing him. Like, okay, so maybe we should talk about the scene a little bit more in detail. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, do you want me to do it? Uh, no, that's fine. Um, basically, he overhears the villain's plans, which are, um, you know, the cats are going to eat the mice eventually, but first they're going to exploit them for work. That's so good. So again, we're getting that Nazi symbolism with yeah. the with the cats. It's so good. We're going to eat you alive. Come on, guys. Metaphorically, however, first come out west. The work will make you free. <laughs> like it's sure real will. dark. The work will set you free, and by free, I mean free of your worldly concerns. <laughs> um. Yeah, this scene is super creepy in its atmospheres, and it doesn't help that that gramophone music that's being played on, like, the back of a train as it, you know, goes by. Like, it it sounds like the Doppler effect is sort of in place here. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, slathering this conductor mouse with, like, mayonnaise or something like that. Oh, while he's While he's discussing terrible. his evil plan, and it's so creepy. I do remember this. I do remember being very scared of this scene now that you yeah. mentioned the, the mayonnaise. Yeah, it's really creepy. But luckily, Fievel loses his grip on the puppet. The puppet slides into the sandwich. He takes a bite of the sandwich, which has, you know, puppet inside of it. And he finds Fievel. And all the cats are like, yes, let's eat that mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Because they have not thought more than five minutes into the future. No, they are in the Hamtaroverse, Zane. They are just going by their instincts. But Catterwall says, like a very very shrewd businessman, I really like this villain. He's so refined. He's very yeah. long John Silver. He's got his eyes on the prize, and he's willing to put away, put aside his nature in order to play up appearances. Because yeah. he knows, and he says as much, that if they eat Fievel, the others will come looking for him, and then they won't have those others for work. 
So he lets them go, but not before doing the creepiest fucking thing ever. And, like, <laughs> dressing him up with, like, mayonnaise and then, like, dunking him in water while saying, I wish I could eat you, but no. <laughs> now the feline in me would like to devour this tender young morsel, but the shrewd businessman in me knows that if I do, the other mice will miss him and come looking for him. Oh, the gourmet in me quivers at the thought of mouse tartar. But the entrepreneur prefers not to be inundated by suspicious mice that could jeopardize my plan. So I must exercise both willpower Scamper back to your parents, little mouse, and do be careful, it's frightfully hazardous out there. Ugh, it's so unsettling to watch him talk. Yeah. Like, ooh, I could just take a bite right out of you, but I won't. Yeah, he's really, like, torturing himself. But if I did... <laughs> yeah. Um. It's like he's on a diet, but he's, like, glazing a cake or, like, making cookies for his friends or something. Like, he's just torturing himself. Um... But eventually, Just based in that he, turkey. eventually he makes um, his spider friend T R Chula um, make it look like Fievel fall, fell off the train when instead he just pushes him off the train, and he so makes it shrewd. so that the others see. He makes it so the others see it, so they're not wondering where he's gone, but he can't tell them anything. Like that's I, so I, clever. I had the same reaction as you did there. I'm like, oh. Of course you did that. It's the only thing you could do to keep the ma- to maintain the uh, the illusion that you're that you're going on with. And I'm kind of upset I didn't must... think of it first. You didn't? I'm kind of, yeah. I'm, I I didn't think of it first. Oh, you didn't? Who who thought of it first? Yeah. He... No, no. Like when before he like told Tarantula to like knock him off and let oh. the others see it. I didn't consider. I was just like, is he just gonna let him go go back to his family and yeah. just trust him not to say anything? <laughs> Yeah, what a good, you know, there's this element in stories, you have to appeal to ethos, pathos, and logos, you know, the logic of it. You know that scene in uh, Lion King where, uh, you know, the stampede is happening and Scar swats Zazu as Zazu says, oh, I'm going to go warn the others and, like, get somebody to help, and Scar swats him. That's to take care of logos so you don't get in the way of pathos because your brain is going to say, there's something wrong with this situation, something doesn't make sense. But he makes it make sense. And it's such a good scene because of it. <laughs> I really like that. I don't know. It, it, again, I really like this villain. He's a good villain. We've, we keep on doing things with good villains. Yeah. Well, I think... I think Villains are the most interesting. A good hero is a dime a dozen. Which, granted, the hero in this one is really good. <laughs> <laughs> but a good villain is, is a bit harder to come by. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, um... You know, Fievel gets thrown off the bus, but uh, his family goes on because, you know, they, they, they know how to do that. They arrive at Green River and yeah, uh, take Green up River. residence in a pail at the base of the water towel. yeah, tower. Because uh, Mama Mousequits didn't raise no fools. By Mama, I mean <laughs> Papa's Mama. Uh, the mother-father. Yeah. The father-mother. And I gotta say, despite living near the water... Pablo Mousquitz is really fucking gullible. <laughs> this already happened to him with America, but he's still optimistic. <laughs> still, his kid just died for the second time. Like, I don't know why he's able to do it, but it is cool that it reflects on Fievel's upbringing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because earlier, Mama was saying how she didn't understand how she raised such a reckless, optimistic child. Now we know. It's Papa's fault. <laughs> 
It's like it's okay. I I know exactly how we're gonna be how we're gonna get a good uh, spot to live in. It's a pail right <laughs> near the water tower. Yeah, good move. We got this really nice. We might not be the fastest mice, but we're the smartest mice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like just just jinxing yourself right away at every yep. turn. Yeah. <laughs> and of course. The tarantula promptly plugs up the water tower. Yeah, because he's an so asshole. They can't get any. Like, I, d- I doubt he even had orders to do that. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I hate these fucking mice. Why is a spider on their team? Uh, do spiders why is eat one mice? Of the mi- why is one of the mice in his car, like, in on their team? Why is one of them... Why, no, not one of the mice. One of the cats. Why is one of the cats on their team French? I don't know. Did you notice that? No. <laughs> They got a spider and Frenchman of... on their, on Team Evil. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> Maybe just viscerally, because, like, spiders are evil. French people was, are evil. I was only paying attention to Catterwall, really. <laughs> yeah, that's probably wise. And he comes to the rescue with his devil's bargain. He's like, no, work work with me. And again, kind of like Scar in The Lion King. Like, you'll never go hungry again. Mm, promising things that they know he can't deliver on, but they're just desperate enough to trust him. Work with the hyenas. <laughs> yep. Why are we yep. talking about Lion King so much? <laughs> Cats, desert. Yeah, I guess you got me there. <laughs> I really like the point in this movie when Puma shows up and, you know, like they do a little luau scene. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Meanwhile, Fievel's dying of thirst in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> this is heartbreaking. I get, I get the feeling that this might not actually be a kid's movie. Look at how Spielberg treats him. <laughs> He's a kid who's dying of thirst in the <laughs> desert alone. He's like, let's give him a mirage. Let's really get his hopes up. Yeah. The good thing is followed up with a tiger scene, but then they meet. They both assume the other one's a mirage. And They're like, hey, how's it going? Zane, if, if the music here was any different from zany tiger music, it'd be so heartbreaking. <laughs> if it was just violin music, like they do in American Tale, it'd be yeah. so heartbreaking. But Spielberg does a very good job distracting us buffering us from some of the more horrifying moments of this subplot it's great yeah you know and i think he does it to make the main plot a little bit more dire because this is the most dire moment they've had so far he's in danger of death (laughs) but it does it's not really treated as dire it's just like oh comedy of misunderstandings Mm -hmm. you might have gotten those moment one of those doug moments there where you're just like just talk it out (laughs) (laughs) just tell her how you feel (laughs) um I mean, it's hard to just talk out your problems when you're immediately attacked by a dancing skeleton of a buffalo. Yeah, and then there's some Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> like, this part, the desert scenes feel very disjointed. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, just the, very the, quickly gets extremely silly. The skeleton dances to putting on the Ritz. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, they turn out to be some... I guess they're desert mice, but they're pretty bad Native American stereotypes. They're incredible Native American stereotypes. I, I kind of really appreciate the totally unashamed way the movie treats this fringe culture. Yeah. It's sort of appealing in its innocence. Like, we're going to treat the Jews with the utmost respect. We're going to give them the, the main characters. We're going to make the audience sympathize with them. A bunch of bad things happen. Uh, what about the uh, Native Americans? Oh, they have headdresses, right? They have, yep. they have, like, a dance. They worship the mountain. Worship the totem spirits. Treat people as gods. Yeah. Real and, bad. you know, Tiger's totally into it. He greets them all as, how do you do? <laughs> yeah. 
the, a kind of line that would not be okay today. It kind of is. wasn't even okay then, but it's Tiger. But now we have the internet. It's Tiger, so it's fine. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's so innocent. It, the rest of the movie is so innocent that I just kind of couldn't muster up the energy to be offended. I forgot this entire scene because... Yeah, this is not really forgettable so much as it's not important to the plot. Yeah, it doesn't make an impression. I remember it. I remember it being a little bit scarier than it actually is, I think just because of the lighting. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of nice. If they were doing a different trope, they would have had them eat Tiger. But uh, luckily, they just think of him as his god, as as this person's god, and you can see Tiger kind of going on this like Odyssey journey where he's like getting distracted by the sirens <laughs> to like finish from finishing his quest. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, meanwhile, Fivel is attacked by a scorpion and a hawk at the same time. <laughs> like Tiger's situation is at first not any more dire, but Fivel's is treated with way more gravity. Uh, I think the unfortunate circumstances of Fievel times the unfortunate circumstances of Tiger just kind of have to be a constant at all times. If Tiger gets some good fortune, you know, Fievel's life takes a shitter. You, you know? gotta balance it out, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, Fievel, like... Did I mention I'm in grad school for physics? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's hard not to think about that. <laughs> um, um, but Fievel is grabbed by the hawk and yeah, it flies him over the desert mice who attack it with fireballs. Yeah, they like shoot rockets at it. This whole part of the movie feels like it's just there to fill up the movie. Yeah, a little bit. Like to fill time. They, I feel like they could have done a lot better later. Maybe. Yeah. It fulfills a good narrative role, though. I guess. You know, it makes it makes Fievel and Tiger reunite. And they're really happy to see each other. And it's this nice, it's this nice resolution of that of that arc. I think you're overlooking the part where he almost gets eaten. I don't think I am. That's just you. Just that's the that's what that's what you do within this movie. This no, but this made such an impression <laughs> on me. It's such a horrifying scene where our protagonist looks like he's gonna get eaten and digested. Oh yeah, that is like, pretty creepy. It wasn't that bad when it was happening to the conductor mouse, or even in the abstract. But when you're when you're hanging on to the uvula and looking down at the esophagus, there's the oh combina- man. There's a combination of claustrophobia and body horror that just really sits with you. This really, it definitely hit me a little bit. I just kind of, I just, I guess I just powered through it. But, you know, I, I do know that you had a bit of a horror time getting past body horror while you were yeah. growing up. So I, I am not surprised that this affected you in that way. Yeah. It's just gross. It's just like, <laughs> he's going he's to get eaten by the by supporting his best character. Friend. <laughs> oh, no. By the supporting friend. But by supporting character. Oh no, I've eaten my best friend. Bible, are you in there, buddy? <laughs> he's like poking his stomach. I'll get you out. <laughs> like he's reaching down into his own stomach. Yeah. Someone get me the epicac. <laughs> Boo boo. <laughs> he's not Yogi Bear. I was he going like, into Yogi Bear a little bit there. He does the Heimlich on himself. <laughs> yeah. I need a doctor. It's fun to do Tiger's voice. Yeah. Um, Tiger basically says, uh, giddy up, little little, little darling, or whatever the hell the Western equivalent yeah. is of get yeah. out of here. I'm going to be a god for a while. And it goes into this awesome music video. Yeah, he's just like ride into town on a tumbleweed. <laughs> to Rawhide, covered by the Blues Brothers. Which is amazing. Move them on. Move them on. Move them on. Rawhide. Cut them out. Ride them in. Ride them in. Cut them out. 
are except for rawhide <laughs> that's the main one it's right up there with send me on my way and <laughs> anything by the crash test dummies in incomprehensibilities yeah this is another thing that i didn't remember at all but it's it's a really fun interlude the the rawhide sequence again is just something that could not fit into the first movie yeah yeah it, it's, especially because it's, it's sung by the blues brothers it's too lighthearted, and you know it involves a bunch of animals with incredibly deep voices in just a really comical way mm-hmm. i love that one snake raw hard it's just fun to watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> fill up some time have a little fun tumbleweed travel no one questions why the tumbleweed goes exactly that way <laughs> i oh, guess yeah. that's like yeah native american spirit knowledge <laughs> tiger has knowledge of the spirits of his, their ancestors and they know which way the tumbleweeds blow yeah, he went into a food coma and got a spirit guide. <laughs> Had a spirit quest. <laughs> His ancestors asked, can I remove your legs? You won't need them. <laughs> and he has to ascent, because otherwise he hasn't achieved enlightenment. <laughs> Sorry. Kind of looks like a Buddha. Yeah, a little bit. Except, what if the Buddha just had a huge, bushy mustache? <laughs> I don't know if he would like have one been of those, iconic. Like one of those handlebar mustaches. No, one of those like dapper gentleman boxing mustaches. Yeah, like the uh, like the like whatever uh, the new wife was in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Whatever mm. the new the the new husband for that wife was in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? That kind of mustache. <laughs> yeah, he's bona fide. <laughs> and so is Tiger. So anyway, um, um, yeah. So Fievel rides into town and mm-hmm. bumps right into his hero Wiley Burp. Yeah, and oh man, I cannot believe I didn't say anything about this. So, go ahead and uh, yeah, when Fievel meets <laughs> Wiley Burp, Burp gives this incredible pun monologue to introduce <laughs> why he's no longer sheriff, and it really does make him seem a little bit senile, and it's it really is kind of tragic, but it's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm so far over the hill that I'm on the bottom of the other side. Well, that part's good, too. In that Jimmy Stewart voice. Yes. Because that's a little later. That's a little later. Was it? Yeah, that's the second time he runs into him. Oh, you're right. I'm But that's all right. Um, What it does, he he mostly just leaves Wiley alone at this point, and we get to see um, the saloon that the mice have built. Yes. And it looks cool. Looks like the mice mice are a good job. Do yeah, a there's, job a great, on this. there's a great part where we see the mice working with small instruments to build things, kind of like Pikmin. Yeah, it's it's not at all reminiscent of the Jews building the pyramids. Nope. 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 Moving on. <laughs> and then he reconnects with his family in no way yeah. like Moses did. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes, indeed. So Bring up I... this movie next time at your Passover Seder. <laughs> yep, fits right in. Was the was was the you know story of the Passover sort of a western? With the sand, <laughs> there was sand. <laughs> yep. Uh, so is it is it at this point that the movie turns into a love story? Not yet. I don't remember the actual chronology of this. So at this point, Fivel warns his family of Catterwall's plan, but they don't believe him. So he hitches oh, a ride. Yeah. He hitches a ride into the saloon where he hears them explain their plan once again. 
<laughs> uh, which doesn't seem like a plan that requires more than two steps, because most of the cats are just like, yeah, mice burgers. Let's get some of those. <laughs> this is a good part where it's like, yeah. Yeah, this is pretty funny that all of his minions forgot why they were doing it. He's just like, no, no, guys, stop. We, we like <laughs> calm down. Already talked about this. We've been over this. Like Do I have ten minutes ago, anything? screen time. Yeah, like I know it was cool when Tiger became a god, but you couldn't have just remembered the first half of this movie. Um, Fievel, um stabs Catterall with a fork. Yeah. Fuck you, villain. (laughs) Yeah, just really, like, he has to know that's not actually going to do anything. No, but he's just like, you know, this guy's an asshole. I'm going to let him know I think he's an asshole with a fork. And it makes him jump out of his clothes into the ceiling where we get... We get a great sense of the scale we've been working on because the mice have been these tiny little things and the cats have been much more like humans, mm-hmm. pr- like proportionately. But then the cat seems reasonably sized next to the humans. I was very surprised. Like, Catar Wall has both thematically and, you know, animation-wise been built up to a larger-than-life figure. Or at least larger-than-cat figure, but he's right. still just the size of a cat. Also, I should make po- uh, make note that this makes no sense geographically because there's a saloon and then sky. But then oh, yeah. when you're inside the saloon and you jump up, there's like a patio. Uh-huh. It's fine. <laughs> just it, just going to gloss over that. It, it's sort of interesting that the saloon in this town, like this town doesn't look like it has human structures very much. No. Like, they, they, they I think they do the a pan across the to. first time, but that's kind of the, all we get for a sense of, you know, the the human the human society around it yeah which i guess was that was covered a little better in american tale i feel like i I think so the animation really emphasizes like the buildings that are meant for the cats and the and the little details of the buildings that are meant for the mice i don't know everything in the animation felt like it was done with the right amount of detail with no more and no less i i really liked uh, i really liked the visuals I didn't hone in on it, but that in and of itself is a mark of pride. So, no, nothing to complain about. Mm. I think it's at this point. It is at this point. Okay, at this point, the movie <laughs> turns into a love story between Catarwall and Tanya. Um, really strangely. <laughs> Tanya starts singing, and he's just so... Catarwall. Like, he was in the middle of putting a hit out on Fievel, and he just hears <laughs> Tanya singing and goes to find her. And then makes makes her dance with his hand. In the dark of the night, when the world goes wrong, I can still make it right. I can see so far I wish I could put this hit out on Bible, but there's no way I can do it on this the day of my own wedding. <laughs> Like, like, I, I kind of don't know what's happening to his character anymore. We're going to have to cut out a s- severe amount of the laughter we're making because it's so absurd. I don't think we... This is so incredible. Like, he calls her the told, diva. I already talked about how Wall was sort of this dichotomous figure where he's got these two sides to his personality. The part where he gives in to his predacious nature and the part where he shoves it away. But then there's this third part, which is this interspecies horn dog. 
and, and as slash like you know uh, art aficionado. Yeah, I think that's the major part <laughs> they're going happening? for. He just he he likes the way she sings. <laughs> that's it. It's really weird. And no, he. he, he he picks he her turns up. His, he turns his... No, no. He turns his hand into, like, a little... Little man. Mouse, a little man that dances with her. Also, cats have hands. Yeah. Which is fine. But there's, there's so much about this scene that's just it's, a problem. No, it's... This is the best scene. <laughs> it's so good. Catarwall, uh, <laughs> the main villain, whom was going between... I, I hate to state it again, but where did this come from? <laughs> Why is this a thing? It's just, like, it is there to make a narrative point for him. They, they didn't need this. <laughs> like, this doesn't need to be a narrative point. It yeah. just, I think it's there it just to give Tanya this. a bigger role. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice song that she sings, and she also sings another one, so that's two more songs already. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess they had to, uh, I guess that she got that as part of her contract. Yeah, we gotta trick people into thinking this is a Disney movie. <laughs> Love story. Where do we put it? Well, you know, they, we already have that thing with Tiger and uh, and Kitty. Let's just, you know, have a halfway thing where they have like an imaginative segment and they're both longing for each other. We already have that. That, that, didn't, that didn't hit quite right. What do we make the main villain fall in love with the main protagonist's sister? <laughs> and they're different species. <laughs> um, did you? This is so good. Did you see? Um, did you see the dick? No, I'm aware of the dick, though. <laughs> yeah, so when when he, like, holds her up in his hands and she, like, opens up her mouth to sing, one of the animators just drew a, a dick. Yep, taking the challenge from Disney. <laughs> it's too fast to see, but it's, like, in the actual film. Like, it's not edited after. Nope. Yep. <laughs> it's just there. Yep. Well, did this come out about the same time as Fight Club, right? <laughs> this is probably just a, a a project mayhem sort of thing, right? Subliminal advertising. Sure. Buy dicks. <laughs> and uh this is the song uh that they also sing in the finale. Uh yes. It's, it's another hoedown. It's sung by Linda Ronstadt, who sang Somewhere Out There in an American Tale. Uh but originally it was supposed to be sung by Celine Dion. Hmm. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah. Uh, I like the song a lot. I am torn on the lead up to this song because it really seems like it's like the end of Requiem for a Dream or Black Swan or something a lot darker than what it is. Yeah. Because she's being drafted into being a showgirl. Right. Like they say, yeah, you're going to be our singer, but then she gets dolled up and like. Yeah, Miss Miss Kitty dolls her up and we see that she's not really, she's not really happy. She misses Tiger. Pops open her front button, you know, get the mouse cleavage. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Tanya goes on the stage and realizes that the true beauty comes from without. Is the girl you left behind out there tonight romancing? Making eyes at someone else and singing, is she dancing? Oh, the girl you left behind, you dream of when you're sleeping. Puts the teardrops in your eyes from secret she is keeping. Happy in this <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> The cats are all pretty into how hot this mouth is. Like... <laughs> I don't. I didn't put it together, but it's weird. Yeah, it's really strange. And um, I guess yeah, she just defies description as far as that goes. Um, I like this sub story better than anything going on with Five. Well, to be honest, yeah, it's a little more interesting. I 
kind of seems like it could have gotten real dark from this point on, but it is a nice parallel to Fievel's dream-chasing ways because they're both their father's kids. They're hoping beyond reason for a better life, but they're unable to see how much trouble they're getting into in pursuit of that. Right. So this, this is a really nice microcosm of the whole plot. Right, and this is the part where, where Fievel goes to talk to Wiley and discovers who he is. Oh, man. Um, so we get, we get this sort of, um, you know, his family's indentured, his sister has been taken up by the creeps. He needs, yep. like, he need, he's willing to accept he, help. He, his, his best friend has kind of left the world behind. You know, he, he's, he's off with partying with the sirens. And Fievel is, he looks up to the last vestige of his idealism he has, his hero. You know? Because he's really into westerns. I don't know if we talked about that earlier, but he's really into this whole western thing, like from a, yeah. you know, Billy the Kid sort of, sort of visceral you know, standpoint. And he has to convince Wiley to help to come out of retirement. Well, for before that, Wiley gives this incredible, incredible speech about why he doesn't want to come out of retirement, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you get, a, you get a lot of the Jimmy Stewart voice. In this, this is so, this is so good. It's just Jimmy Stewart making 12 dog puns in a row. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, a dog. <laughs> Dog's gotta have his day. This dog's dog tired. My dogs have been barking the whole <laughs> It just keeps going. And yeah. you can see with every dog pun, Fievel's expression getting more and more heartbroken. It's so right. good. And Fievel's just pitiful enough to convince him to help. Yep. And he's yep. like, all right, I'll help. I need I need a dog to train. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can almost, like, talking about this in met metatextual sort of awareness is jimmy stewart this is his last role right. and he is having to be convinced to no we need you back it's not the same without you and you can sort of take that laterally and apply it to his real life where everyone where he's like this is my last one i'm on the way out and everyone is like clamoring to tell him we we really need you please come <laughs> back but uh this was his last role so we don't get that a nice shootout at the end in in real life terms that we do yet here right five five supplies him with tiger uh, instead of a dog yep well five has to go go search for tiger him. yeah yeah and uh it's you know he, he has a hard time convincing him until five breaks out of the siren spell and remembers kitty and agrees to go help but right. uh tiger's kind of a shit cat too yeah <laughs> so he's there's two degrees of separation from a hero here. Kitty's like, uh, earlier in the film, Miss Kitty was like, I kind of want to be with a cat that's more like a dog. And Tiger's yeah, she's not on the interspecies romance train, too. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't weird. understand the. This is a really, really uh, this is a real love letter to Furrydom, don't you think? Yeah. I think it's a real love letter to Furrydom. <laughs> what do you think? I, I don't know. Was that even a subculture back then? Oh, I'm sure it was. Like, every subculture that you get aware of, you just immediately realize how big it is. Mm -hmm. there, was, there, were, there were homosexuals, you know, centuries back. They just didn't have an outlet. I'm sure there were furries before Five Goes West. <laughs> this anyway. is what started it all. Um, <laughs> yes, this was the genesis of the entire subculture. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, pretty uh, funny. But Five convinces Tiger to be trained, and we get not quite a training montage. This is the point at which Five says, okay, Jimmy Stewart, it's your show, I'm, and I'm, goes and sits on a barrel. <laughs> I, I am paid up through the month, and <laughs> all of you. <laughs> this is all you. 
I'm gonna laugh with the with the with the jokester of the class, Tiger, while the teacher rolls his eyes. Um, and and does the lazy eye. <laughs> yes, rolls his lazy goddamn eyes. Which sounded really cool when I was young. And but now looks it looks stupid. really stupid <laughs> now that I'm not young. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's fine though. Whatever. Like I feel like they could have done something better. Yeah, I don't know. Because what um, they end up doing is just like shooting their eyes all over the place. Yeah, they just get weird. Like, like they do the quail eye. Yeah. Do you remember that one episode of Doug? Yeah. Where he just weirds out, weirds Roger out into submission. <laughs> just so weird that Robert Roger just gives up and walks away. <laughs> That's how most real problems are solved. You can just probably solve most real interactions, like real world interactions, just by being aggressively weird. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've done that in- unintentionally for most of my life. He's too gross to fight. But uh, yeah, this leads into bam shootout at the OK Corral for mm. kind of no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Before the shootout, um, Catterwall is putting his master plan into motion, which consists of, like, having a show on top of a giant mousetrap that the mice don't realize yes. is a mousetrap. Yes. <laughs> and it is held in place by a red ribbon, which he's going to cut with golden scissors. <laughs> I feel like I feel like a lot yeah, of the melancholy is... has vanished from the film by this point. It, it makes no pretense of being serious. We have Tiger in the film. So the fact that they go so over the top setting up this dramatic Jenga tower is really <laughs> amusing to me. Yeah. And golden scissors. I didn't notice that. It's great, though. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to cut it with these golden scissors. Like... With these golden scissors. <laughs> uh, this is yeah. such a weird movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, it didn't seem like it at the time, but, yeah. man, just... The second that he started dance- dancing with Tanya, it was just like, oh, okay, all bets I, are off. And I guarantee if you, like, ask anyone about this movie, they will not remember all the weird parts of it. Oh, no, I didn't either. And then, and then the, like I'm saying, the, the romance scene came up, and I'm like, what did this just turn into? <laughs> Showgirls? This is weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, you have a classic Western finale. Uh, the sheriffs come back to town. They're getting assaulted by the outlaws, essentially. And they get the upper hand on them. You know, there's there's an action sequence here. Yeah. It's not really important how it's how it's uh how it's resolved, but Tiger does kind of show off that he's top dog. <laughs> he's he's threatening yeah. enough to scare away the other cats yep. and prove to his loved one that she that he is uh he, he is tough enough for her. Yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he saves her and gets all the other cats onto the mouse trap and uh Fievel shoots Fievel the gets, gets the gun away from Catterwall and shoots the, the ribbon. The golden gun. <laughs> yep. As I recall. <laughs> Sets them all flying. He shoots He shoots the ribbon with a diamond bullet. Yeah. Because it's more baller that way. And Cat R. Wall is nothing if not baller. That's probably how he would put it. Were that the vernacular <laughs> at the time? Yes. Classic what if, what Western if, vernacular. What if, what if it was I'm like... I'm a real baller gentleman. <laughs> what if it was like skater talk? Like, I'm a sick rad dude. <laughs> I'm a sick boy. Like, what if it was just kid rad? <laughs> it's like, uh, no, 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 even better. What if it's just a alternate version of Professor Dr. Awesome? <laughs> It's just like you you mice think you're gonna upset this piece? That is so not fly. <laughs> Bad nineties slang. Yeah. But yeah, so Tiger has proven himself and Kitty uh, you know, uh thanks him by start fucking him in front of all the mice. 
At which point, Fievel walks away with Wily and gives Jimmy Stewart a nice farewell from the world of acting. Here, son. I, I want you to have one of these. I can't. I'm not a hero like you. Well, <laughs> not really. Well, maybe not. Maybe a real hero's the last one to hear about it. But you you pulled me out of a gutter, and for that I owe you some thanks. Just just remember, Fievel. One man's sunset is another man's dawn. I don't know what's out there beyond those hills. But if you ride yonder, head up, eyes steady, heart open, I think one day you'll find that you're the hero you've been looking for. Yes. Um, in an ending that makes kind of no sense to me from a character development standpoint. What do you mean? So, there's this thing with Wily saying, if you just look out on those horizons, you'll, you'll find what you're searching for. You should always keep dreaming. You know, something like that. Yeah. And Fievel responds to him by taking his cowboy hat, which has represented this American idealism and frontiersmanship, and says, fuck it, I'm I'm good as an immigrant, puts it back on. I don't know, it seems like he was saying the opposite See, just a I, second ago. I Keep it, your dreams. <laughs> I took it to mean that the, you know, moving out west and the immigrant, like the experience of both... And the impetus of both was actually the same. Um, and, like, he, he's growing up. He's realizing, like, you can still chase that dream, but don't, you know... He got distracted by, like, the romance of the West and West, and didn't realize that I don't that think the they set it up that well, if that was the case. If, I, if, I agree. If they, if they were trying to make the theme of he just needs to be himself and not be this hero... That's, they did a bad that's, job. <laughs> that's fine, but it it wasn't the theme that they were setting up. The themes right. that they were setting up is him striving for a greater life, him striving for a greater purpose. And basically, Wiley says, you're right to strive for a greater life. You're right to strive for a greater purpose. And Fievel says, fuck it. And pulls his hat in. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm going to live here nope. with my family. <laughs> we'll, uh, you know. Everything's good now. The water tower made the yep. ground into fertile land for some reason. We've hit the glass ceiling of American expansionism. <laughs> you know, manifest know. destiny only extends to the uh, only extends to the coast. You know the the way that the ending reflects on Jimmy Stewart. However, pitch mm. perfect. Yeah, that is so good. He's like it's as though Jimmy Stewart is inhabiting this dog <laughs> in a way. I wish I had phrased a little differently. <laughs> 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 and it's telling all of us, you know, you have to chase your dreams because look at how well it turned out for me. Yeah. Sorry about that. I wanted that to get a little <laughs> bit harder than it ended up doing. That's okay. It was not too long ago that we were talking about the interspecies romance, so. <laughs> it's happening this dog. <laughs> Just get right on in that dog. Oh, God. Um. So... And that's pretty much the end of Five Goes West. Yeah, uh, everyone ends up happy. Personal hangups are resolved. There's a hoedown version of of the American Tale, uh, you know, chorus mm-hmm. again. I think. Yep. Or one of the songs that starts off in like the sad violin tones, and then it immediately goes into hoedown fiddle music, which is good. Yeah, I like it. That's pretty cool. So yeah. yeah. Overall then, impressions. Overall impressions. I 
really liked it. There is, there is a, you know, I always appreciate thematic completeness Mm -hmm. and a movie that, or a, a show that just tries to drive home one single point. However, the second it introduced Tiger and his weird subplots, uh, this it, it struck me that this movie has a real shotgun approach to evoking emotions. Mm-hmm. Like from scene to scene, it'll transition from lighthearted to serious with, without any warning. Yeah, and sometimes you'll have scenes that are overly humorless, but under the surface, it's a little bit darker, like Tanya's singing scene. Right. And then, then you have it the other way around, too, with Tiger and Fievel, like, passing each other. But it's to comical music, and it's played up for a little bit laughter. Right. I took it kind of as a transition from the melancholy of the first movie. Like, it starts out that way, and then it expands into a more comedic and more action-oriented movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it. That's probably due to Don Bluth not being involved, because, yeah. you know, you needed a lighter theme to fit the lighter direction right. i think i think they wanted the lighter tone and i think they wanted to transition into it explicitly rather than just starting things off hey we're in new york and it can be occasionally wacky it's not I... yet though the west is still this newer differenter place that's not a bad idea i didn't really view it as a transition so much as a smorgasbord like Shotgun i really appreciate it like I said, I appreciate that the film doesn't really need, feel the need to be one thing. It's an adventure, it's a horror, it's a comedy, it's a romance, and it and it hits them all. Like mm-hmm. I said earlier, you know, you really feel like the sense of an adventure very early in the movie. You feel that horrifying aspect when you've got that really weird gramophone music and the, the villain. You have comedy with, you know, Tiger and the step dancing yeah. skeleton, and it just... It hits them all. Yeah, and I think it hits them I don't all. Know. I think so... it hits them all pretty well. I mean, this is a family movie, and I think it has mm-hmm. it has enough for everybody, and it it um it transitions well enough, not seamlessly, but well enough that you can forgive it. I think. Yeah, I I don't even care about the transitions in this. Like, I just kind of appreciate that it gives you a little bit of everything, yeah. while still technically adhering to a typical western in plot. Yeah. You know, it just gives you a lot of a lot of every a little bit of everything, and it's not generally a thing that I've liked. Yeah, I don't think I've liked that sort of thing before. But it it just I I was I was captivated by by the movie the whole time, but in different ways each time. Yeah. So that was my take on it. What about yours? Um, I would agree with with most of that. I would say um, I I wasn't as <laughs> hung up on the. <laughs> <laughs> logical parts that were objectionable what part are you to you. About? <laughs> the inner <laughs> love scene. Um, oh yes. Can you remind me of you know just what that entailed? No. Okay, um, <laughs> it's fair. I don't know. I it was a smooth watch, like from from start to finish. It it flowed very nicely. I don't think it spent too long on any one thing. Um, the part in the middle with the Native American mice was a little cringeworthy. <laughs> A little bit disgusting, but it you know. But again, in that sort of you it's know, not what you remember. Stick out their jaw, dig in their heels, sort of way. Like you see the stereotype, and you're like, "Oh Jesus!" And then Tiger flat out makes a stereotypical <laughs> Native American joke right to his face. <laughs> like it's okay because we have charisma. It's okay because we understand it too. We know what we're doing here, people. <laughs> like that somehow makes it better. And this movie had really an all-star cast. I mean, you got. You got Jimmy Stewart, you got John Cleese, 
you got you know a you lot of talent. You can't understate on here. how evocative Jimmy Stewart's voice is to this entire setting. Yes, like whenever he talks, you you just kind of I don't know. Everything he says is so important. One other thing I want to say about the about the tone is just that they they wrote a American Tale pretty hard here. Yeah. Um, with the exception that I they they have Tiger. You know, he I assume he was a fan favorite from the first one. Mm-hmm. So he got more screen time. And some of the plots and dynamics, like Fievel getting lost and Tiger getting into trouble, are almost repeated verbatim. Yeah. But uh, what I did like about it, and I think this ties into the fact that it has variety, is that it just has more subplots. So even though it does kind of borrow from American Tale, it's expanding on it. It's it's approaching it in new directions. Well, with the all the different characters needing their own stories. You know, yes. they're giving Tanya a story, so she's now relating to Fievel's nature. So... It's just expanding the the five verse. I agree. Nice. This I saw this one first before American Tale, and I actually don't remember anything from American Tale except for that uh, "There's No Cats in America" song. I think it's, I think American Tale is better. Really, but I, I from what I remember, I remember enjoying it more. But I still enjoyed this one fine. I'll have to take another look at it. But yeah, no, I I enjoyed this. I would recommend it to anyone who. Well, I like being sad. Fondly, so <laughs> yes, you know, <laughs> um. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about the animation and music, and then we can close up shop and close up, you know, it's, it's uh, last call. Yeah. Close up I the mean, I don't doors. know if there's much that uh, that we haven't already said. Do you have any final points on it? Just a, just a couple of little offshoot things that I couldn't fit in during work, during it, which was the animation plays very nicely, not as nicely as in American Tale, but it plays very nicely with the scale. Um, mm. And it seems like whenever they interact with human society, it is really cool because it's almost exclusively made up of Rube Goldberg machines. <laughs> you know? Like, something will hit something, it'll hit something else, and it'll cause something to drop, and that'll interact with them in the, in the, in the setting. Because they're so right. small that all of the environment just behaves like that. Right. Um, I can't think of an example of where that happens, but when it does, it's really cool. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that in the chase scene around the, uh, around the saloon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Something hits something else and makes beer fall from the ceiling into this guy's mug, and he immediately starts drinking it. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. Again, um, makes no sense, but it's fine because, you know, we've got that interspecies romance going on in the background, so that's fine. You won't let up on that. I think it's so funny. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. Um, we beat that cat to death. <laughs> Luckily, it has nine lines. Um, Doesn't Tiger make one of those jokes? Like, oh, real glad to have my other nine lives. Yeah, what am so I doing right now? That is Bob and Williams. Williams. Yes, <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I actually got more of a Rodney Dangerfield vibe from him. Yeah, Tiger really doesn't get any respect at all. <laughs> no respect. That's not Rodney Dangerfield. That was the uh, that was the shark guy. Shark, shark guy. Yeah, street. Sh- no, what's that guy? Superfin. You no know. Respect. The shark, I don't know who the shark who gets about. no respect. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that not a thing? Is that not a is that not a character he from played, anything? He played the drums in a band. Oh, Jabberjaw! Jabberjaw! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just say Jabberjaw. I forgot Dude, his name. Not the shark who gets no respect. You could at least say the shark who plays drums. It might be a little bit easier. Yark yark yark. He's like half Roddy Dangerfield, half Three Stooges. Yeah. Um, there's 
a little bit of old timiness that they also play up nicely for visual humor. Like when the, uh, you remember when the blueprint, like the second time they explain the entire plot to his underlings? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, uh, he flips, someone flips through the blueprints for the yeah. mousetrap to make like a flip book movie. Right. Which, which is really cool. And then you realize, like, that's what an animated movie why? is, and they're just making it easier for themselves. I, uh, well, also, why why do they draw out their plans like a flipbook? <laughs> I, I don't understand what to the purpose it, of that is. Then, to make it easier for the rest of the cats to understand. A little bit more appropriate, a little bit they, more approachable. They, they haven't thought any further than... I'm going to get some mouse burgers. Yeah, you you really have to capture their attention. Accessibility is paramount. <laughs> Did you have anything in animation? Uh, No, nothing else. I got a couple of things about sound, if you don't mind. I think I already said that the reappropriation of the American Tale theme to a Western palette was really, was really felt really good. Uh, I, I don't know exactly why it was, but in the training scene with Wiley and Tiger, it just felt like a huge dramatic payoff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if it caught you that way but like when I, when that when that scene happened the music in that scene felt very appropriate in a way that i can't quite i can't quite tell why exactly it felt great but i know it did <laughs> yeah i i mean they 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 drew from a lot of different musical repertoires you know the old the old tunes from the old country the high western stuff even like pop culture western stuff like and it all, it, it all fit very thematically in whichever scene it was it was put. Mm-hmm. I think it was a really excellent decision to have all the Western movie sound effects for the shootout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, a little whip crack and the uh, yeah, up bottle, to and including when they would or would not be appropriate. Specifically <laughs> with like the slingshots making bullet sounds. Pew pew. That is so good. Remember yeah. that one guy? He like pulls back that five banded slingshot and shoots Tiger's slingshot like four times in the air yeah that's really good why would <laughs> yeah. you need a slingshot that works like that in case one band breaks and you have it's five sweet. left i don't know intimidation it's not, like, it's not like you can fire more than one at once it works on the same principles as the lazy eye it looks like it's gonna do something rough until you think about it and it's like actually not that intimidating right but uh that is all i have yeah not bad not not too bad guys i appreciated watching this movie again yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've got a. I've got a nice history with it. It would be kind of my sick movie whenever I was home from school. Oh yeah. Hmm. Either this or American Tale. I think I remember a portion of my adolescence in which I was kind of. This is a little bit weird thing, but during my growing up, I would kind of gauge how much I was maturing at various points, and just like kind of characterizing. Oh, I didn't used to think about this. I didn't used to think about this. Uh-huh. Watching it's a. Watching an American Tale and Five Wolves Goes West when I was like thirteen or fourteen, I'm like, oh, I suddenly get why these movies are good. <laughs> <laughs> like I was actually looking at the themes and just kind of the genius behind some of the some of the plot, and I don't know that that was just like one portion of my appreciation for cinema. I didn't I didn't know that you had revisited uh, this movie more frequently in the past. I don't remember having watched it ever since I was like eight. I don't think. I didn't go quite back that uh, quite back that far. I didn't go quite back that far, but I think probably seventeen or something. Like it's been it's been a good like eight or nine years. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we hope you have enjoyed our second bootlegged presentation. This cake, I think, is full bodied. It has a lot of decorations. 
and an ample amount of different colored frosting. And then on top of the cake, there is a groom, what is a cat, <laughs> and a bride, what is a mouse. And everyone's just going to be okay with that. Yep. <laughs> everyone's turning their head and being like, ah, oh, look, the wilderness, the great <laughs> unknown. <laughs> Don't uh, you think we should expand? Anyway. What, what are we looking at next time, Ben? What are we expanding into? Next time, we are going from uh, interspecies romance into lesbianism with Kim Possible. Uh, supposed not, not to not to lead us into that too heavily, but we're <laughs> going to look at Kim Possible, and I am very excited because it's a good show. Yeah, I, it's not something that we always do. And uh, after that, I um I realized that we haven't really done much from Cartoon Network in a while. I mean, we did Harvey okay. Birdman as, but that was more Adult Swim, which I feel is kind of yes, its own it entity. And uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but aside wrong. from that, we haven't done a, a Cartoon Network since Samurai Jack. That is true. So I also wanted to do something more modern and something that we weren't familiar with. And when so I probably saw Scooby the Doo. when I saw the name of this show, I, it kind of stuck in my mind. Yucks. So we right. are going to be watching Generator Rex. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's from the same people who made uh, Ben Ten. I've never heard of it. It sounds so trash. It's it's about a guy who has amnesia, but he's infected with nanites, so he can turn like his arms into robot things. I didn't want to know that. <laughs> you can't unknow it. I guess I don't have a choice at this point. <laughs> nope. So get ready to listen to King uh, King Arthur and the Knights <laughs> of Justice version 2.0. Uh, but more more recently, we're going to talk about Kim Possible. So let's try to work up some good karma from that. If you if you uh, like our show, please leave us a like. Um, go ahead and give us a review on iTunes or like our Facebook page. And if you have a comment, you can go to our website at thecartoncast.com or just simply go to our Facebook page. We check them both before the show. Um, you can also send your correspondence via Tumbleweed, and it will get to us within six to eight business weeks. <laughs> Indeed. Or high noons. Or whatever. Write them up rawhide. No. Cut him out! 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 Cut him